So Money Episode 1013, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everybody. Welcome to the show. Happy Friday. It is March 6th, 2020. Just got back from a trip to Austin. The airports are pretty quiet. I think that people are staying home. You know, this coronavirus is getting serious, uh, getting more serious. And uh, in New York, we've got a few cases. Let's talk a little bit about preparedness, right? Not just obviously washing your hands and stocking up on dry goods in case we have to get quarantined, but financially prepared. There's This is something that I feel you know, we're, we're going to have to talk about more and more as the days and the weeks go by, as people start to learn that, for example, their jobs are getting canceled. A good friend of mine, she works in events and she's a freelancer and she had three jobs get canceled on her within 48 hours last week because of the threat of this coronavirus spreading. I know South by Southwest in Austin, where I just was, uh, the, the plan is to still have South by Southwest as of the recording of this podcast, but many people who had bought tickets, who are going to be speaking, cho- choosing not to attend. And so what does this mean for our pocketbooks, right? What does this mean for our purse strings? I would say first and foremost, save. If you are already on a savings regimen, great. If you're not, let's get going on this. Um, I think that, look, in some cases, it does make sense to put on pause the debt repayment. Uh, I think obviously pay the minimums on your debts, but if there was more money going to your debt every month um, to the principals, let's take that and put it in an emergency account. That's credit card debt student loan debt, your mortgage, if you were putting extra money towards the principal every month, I would say that for the time being, for the next couple of months, take those extra payments, put them in a savings account. It's not ideal, but in this situation where we have so much uncertainty, the the thing that I remember from the Great Recession, right, is that cash is king. That was true for companies. That was true for individuals. That was true for our country. My my partner in my business, we have a small business loan, and she's like, "Should we start putting more money towards this debt because you know the interest rate is not it's not little?" And I said, "No, let's just keep paying the minimum for at least the time being because." We don't know what our income structure is going to look like in the next six months because jobs could cancel on us. We also need to save money for an emergency. If you want to go to the bank and take some money out of the ATM just in case, uh, I would do that. This is not, again, me being an alarmist. I'm just trying to cover all the bases. We just purchased on Fresh Direct a lot of stocked goods, a lot of goods from, you know, a lot of dry goods from cereal to soups to paper towels, toilet paper, vitamins, things like that, because you just, you know, you want to err on the side of caution. We're still going out. I mean, I just traveled this week. I traveled last week. I'm probably traveling again next week, uh, but it's the sort of thing that, you want to be really mindful. We're really not talking about the economic toll, the personal economic toll this could have on individuals. We're talking about maybe going into a recession now. When you think about the companies that are getting impacted by this virus, the manufacturing that might have to come to a halt, the businesses that may have to shut down for a while, that's going to take a real toll on their bottom lines. And that is going to have a trickle-down effect where they might have to lay off employees, furlough workers, or delay contracts. I've already had 
one event that I was supposed to attend to speak at a Kiza keynote. Clearly, that was canceled because that's going to be happening you know, later in April. We don't know. We don't know what the state of this virus is going to be in April in our country. And so I'm all for taking these sorts of precautions. And it is a little nerve-wracking because my husband and I, we were talking the other night about, okay, financially, where does this put us? If, if, if I have... Fortunately, most of my work is virtual, and so that's great. I think a lot of us can benefit from that. But what if you do have to show up for work to get paid? That would worry me. If you're in that situation, the best thing you can do right now is to save your money. And I'm giving you permission to only pay the minimum on your debts for the time being and take some of that extra cash and put it towards your savings account. Interest rates are also falling. If you have a mortgage or even if you have a fixed rate loan, talking to your lender about refinancing and giving you a reduced rate so that you can, you know, pay a little bit less every month. That would be also ideal. Or if you have student loan debt, another way to reduce the monthly pressure, the cost is to extend the term. Again, not super ideal because over the length of that loan, the lifetime of that loan, you'll pay more interest. But we're talking about a kind of addressing a short-term need. If you have a cash crunch right now, these are the sorts of things that you might want to consider to shore up more cash in case your income fluctuates unfavorably over the next three to four months. Let's hope this is all going to subside in the next few months by the next quarter. But this is unprecedented, right? But I'm comparing this a lot to the Great Recession where the most vital asset that we could have during that time period was cash. If you're investing in the stock market, continue to invest at your regular pace. And in fact, I was just talking to a founder at an event the other day, a female founder of a very successful company in Silicon Valley. And she said, you know what? I'm buying stocks right now. I'm adding more to my retirement account because stocks are low. You know, and they're going to maybe continue to go lower. You can't time it, but arguably better to buy the stock today than three weeks ago when it was higher if your goal is to stick with that stock for the long run. This is generally speaking, obviously, the important thing is to just sort of stick to your regiment. If you do have a long-term strategy to invest for the next 20 years, 30 years, stick with that strategy. If anything, you know, maybe add a little bit more because stocks are down. Better to buy low than to buy high. So just wanted to provide some of that narrative, things that are going through my mind, conversations that my husband and I are having, you know, pillow talk, like, okay, what, what, let's look at income because if your income stops, my income, right? Because I'm the breadwinner, if it stops for whatever reason, because contracts pull out, events stop, will we be okay? The good news is yes, thankfully we sold our old apartment earlier in January. So we do have that equity as an emergency. And now as we're looking to buy a home, It's tough, right? Because on the one hand, do I want to plunk some of that cash into a home? I'm going to be very careful about how much I actually do, right? We're not going to go for the big, big house. We weren't ever going to do that. But really, it's not even possible right now because I'm concerned about cash flow. Um, But the good news is that interest rates are dropping. So whatever we do end up financing, the monthly cost will be lower, thankfully. At least there is that. At least there is that. Okay, that's my rant. If you have any questions about this, please let me know. This is really important that we address these timely topics. I want to use these Friday sessions to address immediate concerns and get to you as much as possible and get some get some fresh advice to you as soon as possible. 
Let's go to the review section, okay, and and select our reviewer of the week. We've got a nice number of reviews in March, and uh, we got one from um, Waking Up 21 on March 3rd, where uh, this person says, the podcast is saving my financial life, and... Waking Up 21 says, Hi, Farnoosh. I've been consuming your podcast for about three months and I've learned so much. I'm going back and listening to the 1,000 plus episodes once I'm caught up on the present week. And after listening to your conversations with the diverse number of guests you speak with, I find myself researching the speakers and their work as well. I'm applying many of the tips and tools to my financial life as I work to build my empire. Woo, I love that. I appreciate your work, your mission, and your voice. With tremendous gratitude, Christine. Well, Christine, thank you so much. And I support your empire building. I love it. I love that you're on this mission to go big. Let's catch up. Send me an email, farnoosh at somanypodcast.com, or you can also go to Instagram, follow me there, direct message me. Let me know that you're the Christine that left the review on March 3rd. I will send you a link to schedule a time to chat with me. I have to say, these are some of my favorite moments, being able to connect with listeners on the phone and hear from you, learn more about your background, how you discovered the show, what's on your financial mind. I live for this stuff, okay? Uh, don't feel like you're burdening me. A woman the other day, uh, we were supposed to talk. Um, she had to reschedule. She was so afraid that I wouldn't reschedule. And I said, absolutely, send her the link again. I want to connect with you. This is important to me. I wish I could do this all day long, but um, the best I can do is one or two a week. So here we are. Uh, but waking up 21, Christine, please get in touch and thank you so much. And as a reminder, if you're listening to this show for the first time, you don't know what's going on. I am encouraging listeners to leave reviews. And every week I pick a reviewer to get a free 15-minute money session with me and we can talk about whatever you want. And sometimes we go over 15 minutes. I don't keep a clock. I don't keep a timer. Uh, But so this is uh, my way to give back, but also to learn. You know, the way that I'm able to keep this show going and hopefully uh, being relevant to you is to hear from you in as many ways as possible. The reviews are super helpful and informative as far as what you're liking, what you want more of, what you want less of. And then, of course, talking to you directly is invaluable. So thank you to everybody who's left reviews. And if you haven't yet, would love to hear your thoughts on the show. Now, before we get to the mailbag, I want to give an update on a listener who asked a question a few weeks ago about what to do in terms of a job offer. So the question was that she was pretty sure she was going to get a job offer that week and that they wanted her to start within the month. Um, she had about $15,000 in bonuses headed her way from her current employer. So was worried about leaving before that bonus kicked in. So was wondering if she could bring this up to the new employer and say, hey, if I take this job, I'm going to miss all this money. And can we maybe add it to my salary or as a bonus? And so I answered it and I said, you know, I think it's definitely important to say that, you know, if the, if the timing is sensitive to that, I think it's, um, and this new employer definitely wants you to start before that bonus is done or paid out. I think, Hey, bring it up at this point, you're not going to lose the job. They love you. They've offered you the job. They've offered you a salary. It's not like they're going to say, Oh, well, Hey, this is really complicating things. We're not going to give you the offer at all. Worst they'll say is no, but I think it is You'll be you'll be kicking yourself if you don't say something. So she said, just an update. She updated me yesterday. She said, I used the bonus to negotiate for a sign-on bonus with the new company, and I increased my salary by 30%. Increased my income by $60,000 a year. 
since I started listening to you a few years ago and I've become obsessed with personal finance, a total fan. OMG. And this is an anonymous person. No worries. I wrote back a Wahoo with tons of emojis on Instagram. People, please update me. This like made my day. Okay. I love knowing that. Just asking, right? Don't be afraid. I think that we get sometimes are really, really worried about, well, if I ask for more money, they're going to hate me and then I'm not going to get the job or they're going to demote me or gosh, I'm going to get penalized. And it doesn't happen. I just was at a conference yesterday, a woman's conference, right? One of the senior, senior, senior executives at a big bank, a female, said to the audience that men never hesitate to negotiate and fight for their money when they're in her office. The women, she says, in her like 40 years, I don't think she could remember a single woman being extremely aggressive with pay, that they almost never ask for more money. They get the bonuses as everyone does in finance, but they don't say like, I think I should make more or I need more or I deserve more. And here's why. So what we know is that these conversations just aren't happening as much as they should be uh, with women. And I think part of it is that men have just been doing this for longer. Men are also much better at sharing advice with one another, talking about money with one another, having these money circles, these money conversations, texting each other how much they made last year. Women, we don't talk about it. We're not as comfortable for whatever reason. I think it's because we're newer to the workforce, frankly. We weren't, we haven't been working in these fields as long as men have. And so we have to catch up. And part of it is just having the consciousness and talking about it and using your voice, being your biggest advocate. Okay, mailbag time. A question here from Monica, who wrote in on the website at somoneypodcast.com. She clicked on Ask Farnoosh and was able to send me this this relatively lengthy question. I'm going to condense it a little bit, but basically, here's the situation. She's got a HELOC on her home and a mortgage, but she does rent out rooms in her home and gets $5,000 a month in rent. So she basically lives in the home for free and she's cash flow positive. So she's asking me, does it make sense to drill down and get these debts off her books and maybe take the mortgage and you know make it a 15 year instead of a 30 year? She also likes the idea of paying the least amount of interest and also building equity quicker so that at the end of the 15 years, she could retire from her current job and live exclusively off the rental income. What are the downsides to this 15 year refi approach? She wants to make sure she's considering everything, including you know how this might impact her taxes if she's not if she's mortgage-free, she's not getting any sort of interest deduction. She's currently paying more per month on the mortgage and also foregoing the flexibility to invest and building money for another down payment so that maybe she can you know, get further into real estate, flip another house. Another option, she said, was to refinance and get a 30-year, a new 30-year mortgage and get the lower interest rates that are going around today and pay less. And she said it's like $2,000 a month in savings, which would allow her to invest in other things, buy another house. So what makes sense? By the way, her credit score is over 770. So she's got no problem getting a great loan with a low interest rate. So Monica, all right, lots to consider 
factor here. You know, the good news is, is you've got options. You have options and you are cash flow positive. As I mentioned at the top of the show, do you have savings? Sounds like you might because you've been cash flow positive for several months. Hopefully you've been funneling that into a savings account, a bank account, so that if you didn't work, if for some reason your renters moved out for whatever reason, they had to find a lower cost of living place, would you be okay? Could you pay off this mortgage with the savings that you have set aside? That's number one. Before we talk about getting more aggressive with these home payments, do you have money for a rainy day? I would say six months in a rainy day account for you because you've got uh, quite a number of debts outstanding. You've Not that they're you know credit cards, but you've got the HELOC, uh, which is $1,000 a month. And then you've got uh, your mortgage, which is at $457,000. The thing about refinancing to a 15 from a 30-year mortgage, here's the thing. You can essentially do this on your own without the paperwork, without maybe some closing costs, and without also locking yourself in to to paying into a 15-year mortgage, the monthly payments will go up. You can essentially pay more towards the principal and get out of that debt in 15 years on your own just by contributing more to the principal. Over time, you will pay less in interest and over time, you will get out of debt sooner than later. So you can kind of create your own DIY version of a formalized 15-year mortgage, which might come with some closing costs too. So that's where I would say if you're going to go in that direction to kind of create this more aggressive payoff for the debt, do it on your own. You're already putting more towards the principal. Now, the other question you have is about, you know, not necessarily having as much money left at the end of the month because you're paying more towards the debt. You can't invest as much. You can't, uh, you know, save up for the next home, and and that's a really important thing to think about because we do know that over the long run, stocks outperform any sort of interest on a mortgage, right? So let's say the rate on your mortgage right now is four and a half percent. I don't know when you got this mortgage, but it's probably not too high. What you could earn in the stock market, right, over the next 25, 30 years, historically, the return on the US index fund over 30 years is more than 4.5%. Where is it better, quote unquote, mathematically better to put your money? Is it better to pay down your mortgage or put money in stocks? Put money in stocks. And as I mentioned again in the beginning of the show, liquidity right now, cash is king. So if it were that you just sort of put a pause on paying down these mortgages, these HELOCs for the next three to four months and using that extra cash to park it, and maybe you put some of that in the market and you put some of that in an account that's called rainy day or future home, I'm good with that. I'm good with that strategy. In the meantime, talk to your bank about refinancing. Could you reduce the interest rate on your mortgage? It would reset the clock. And so I don't know how far along you are in in this 30-year mortgage, but you could reset the clock. Uh, And if you can pay back those closing costs within, say, the next three to five years, then I would do it. If the refinancing costs up front aren't too high. In other words, maybe you could take the savings every month if it over the next one or two or three years, you would make back your money from the, what you paid in closing costs. That's good. If you plan to hold onto this property for a while, that's fine. Refinancing makes sense. So number one, look into refinancing and reducing your monthly payment. 
then taking that savings and doing a multitude of things with it. That's a lot of money, right? You could put some in the market. I think you should. You could put it into a rainy day account for your future home. And then three, look into maybe putting a little bit more towards the mortgage to on your own, create this idea of a 15 year mortgage. You could do the calculations. There are calculators online that can help you figure out what you need to pay every month to finish that loan in 15 years. And that way, if you have a good month, a bad month, you don't want to do it every month. You don't have to, there's no bank that's requiring you to do it. It's just the bank of you. Does that make sense? All right, Monica, thank you so much for writing in. Good luck and keep me posted. Next up on Instagram, SJB writes in and says, Hey, Farnoosh, longtime fan and follower, listener, looking for advice. I have worked at my billion-dollar company for 10 years as a sales rep, consistently a top performer, grown every year bringing in close to $30 million in revenue and $9 million in profit. I'm in a male-dominated industry, and I'm always one of the only women at my level, and I'm constantly plucked by management and recruiting to be used as an example of women being successful in this role and in this industry. I have a long-standing relationship with the executive team. Here's the thing. My mom was recently diagnosed with cancer, so I got involved in charities for cancer, and I've been nominated to run for the quote-unquote woman of the year for the LLS. It's a 10-week race to raise the most money. I met with an executive and asked for a sponsorship ranging from ten dollars to $75,000. They agreed to one table at the gala for $5,000, and I choose how to fill the seats. My goal was to raise between ten dollars and $75,000. My husband says it's inappropriate to tactfully ask for more. Is my ego just bruised? Should I press for more or be happy with what they've offered? Thank you so much. It is a tricky question. I mean, I don't know how to really give you specific advice here. I've never experienced this. I've not been on the employer end of this to say what is appropriate or what isn't appropriate. I think it, you know, $5,000 is is nice. I don't know how much companies typically donate to employee fundraisers, but there's no reason why you can't start your own fundraiser, your own online fundraiser for this. Like sometimes employers have to be careful about, you know, how much they donate to one worker's causes because that really just does set the bar for everyone else coming and asking for, you know, ten to $75,000 or in this case, $5,000. So I'm sure that they're thinking like, if word gets out, then they want to make sure that they can have enough to contribute to everybody's special causes. So I would say, take the money and say, thank you. But Separately, if you want to raise more money, go out on places like GoFundMe or Facebook even and raise money in your mom's name. And this is just the first year. So if this is really successful and the gala um, is something that the company really enjoys being a part of next year, maybe they'll do 15000 or you know your minimum of $10,000. And, and just you got to start somewhere. I wouldn't feel defeated about this. I think that what you're doing is very honorable. Your mom would be so so, so grateful and happy and proud of you. And I think when we sometimes expect too much from our our employers, you know, this is something where I think if I was in their shoes, I'm thinking maybe the mindset is, you know, we can't make exceptions. And if we're going to give you 5,000, we have to be prepared to give someone else the next 5,000 for their charity that's near and dear to them. So giving you 75,000 would have really probably blown, not blown their bank account since they're a billion dollar company, but times you know, all the employees, 
they have to prepare for something like that, right? They want to make sure that it's equitable and they're not discriminating, you know, anybody and making them feel like, well, she got this much for her cause and I only got this much for my cause. Does that make sense? I hope that hopefully puts it in perspective a little bit. And so there's no hard feelings, but no reason why you can't go out there and raise more money on your own. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. Thanks for your question. Question here from Elise, who says, hey, Farnoosh, quick question. What company do you use as your podcast host server? I'm starting my own podcast and would love to know who you use. I noticed that there are several podcasts that occasionally say, quote unquote, server unavailable when I try to listen to them. I've never had this happen when listening to your podcast. Well, I am delighted to hear this. I don't really go down the technical into the technical weeds of my show. I can tell you that it is hosted by a company called Megaphone. And before that, it was Libsyn. I like Libsyn. I like Megaphone. Megaphone, I I really like now because what they provide, in addition to hosting and serving your podcast, is dynamic ad insertion. So when a sponsor comes to me and they want to put ads in, they have my entire inventory to select from. People are starting to listen to the show every day from episode one. So why should episode one not have new ads in it, right? So with Megaphone, you can do this versus Libsyn. I don't know if yet they're uh, up to this sort of technology. They may be, don't quote me on it, but it's giving you more of an answer than you're probably looking for. If anyone out there is interested in podcast technical advice or just general podcast advice, I answer that on this show too. So Fridays are kind of ask me anything and I'm happy to be of service to you. I actually have a program called Pays to Podcast, Pays to Podcast. We're in the middle of that right now, helping a lot of people uh, with their podcast launches. It's a course. We are not accepting new students right now, but I will let you know when that happens. It's a very intimate program. We help you with your launch strategy. And also if you have a podcast and you want to learn how to make money, with your show, we can also help you out. We've got some students who are in that boat. And this is just a side hustle of mine, y'all, because I've learned from this podcast, you can make money from what you do and from what you know. And I know a thing or two about podcasting. Thanks for your question. And that's a wrap, everybody. Before we go, I want to say that it was my daughter's birthday this week. She turned three on March 3rd, three on three, three. And she's going to be signing off for us today. Here we go. Here's Coco. I hope your day is so muddy. 